You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when it comes to insurance, a State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tudor Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie, with me, Freddie Prince Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm, proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. This is an official download from the custardtv.com. Custard TV podcast time again. Uh, Luke here from thecustardtv.com. Hello, Matt's here as well. Hello, how are you, Luke? I'm okay. I'm okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish you didn't ask because I could burst into tears at the sound of your voice. It's oh, thanks. Just comforting. Uh, how are you? You all right, though? I was just asked you that, and you. Just... I know, but I deflect it. You don't want to get into. I, I don't pay you enough to, to care who, who I, how I am. Exactly. <laughs> My point exactly. Um, I went to see ha- the original Halloween at the cinema last night, the 1978 film. I've never seen it before. It was one where there was a there was a technical fault, so the film oh, didn't God. start. That about... cinema's not great. Yeah, yeah the power cut okay. last yeah. time. Well, yeah, they didn't start it till about half an hour after it's meant to meant to be on. So, but we all got a, a free ticket afterwards, so I can I can send you yeah, that. You in the can post use it in the lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> when when the cinema shuts again. <laughs> Great business plan they've got yeah. going there. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. On the show this week. Uh, Nicole Kidman joins forces with Hugh Grant for Sky and HBO's new drama The Undoing. Uh, adult material comes to a close on Channel 4. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost team up again-ish for Amazon's new Truth Seekers comedy. Uh, due to the um, upcoming election in the US, which... Oh, today! Today! In quote-unquote celebration of that, and the fact that it's now all available to stream in the UK via all four, Matt asked me to watch the first two episodes of Series 1 of The West Wing, a show I've never really rated. Did my opinion change? You'll have to find out. And (laughs) we commiserate uh, being at the end of Season 1 and the only season of Freaks and Gigs with Episodes 17 and 18 uh, of that show to discuss finally in The Rewind. 
Let's start off with The Undoing. This is, as I say, Sky Atlantic's new HBO show that they're showing at 2 in the morning in line with the HBO showing, but 9pm on a Monday night if you're not an idiot that wants to get up at that time of the morning. This reunites Nicole Kidman with her big little lies writer, David E. Kelly. It's based on a book uh, called You Should Have Known, and it follows Kidman's character, Grace. She's a successful therapist. She lives in New York City with her husband, Jonathan, played by Hugh Grant. Uh, he's a oncologist, uh, and their son, Henry, they live quite a uh, sheltered life in New York. It's just basically rich people having a lovely time. She sort of meets up in, with Elena. She's a, a, a new to the school. She brings her son to the school. and he, um, He's on a scholarship, crucially, yeah. as well, isn't he? Because they're not as as well off as the the other parents that we see in the, in this and because of that, she's immediately looked down upon, and there's a gossip mill about whether she really belongs in this in this school and in this environment. She's very glamorous, but the mums are immediately distrustful of her because of her background. Her body is discovered by her son. Hugh Grant's character, Jonathan, goes missing at exactly the same time. Are these two things connected, and where does it go from here? A lot of DNA with big little lies, as you might expect. That's not just because Nicole Kidman's in it, but because David E. Kelly has written it. It's about a specific hoi polloi heightened version of society that looks down upon those less fortunate. You know, all of these characters are connected by the fact that their children attend the same educational institution as well, like in Big yeah. Little Lies. And it, it is sort of one of those how the other half lives with most of these women being well off and um uh, like the outsider you know we had shailene woodley in in big little lies here as you mentioned it's uh the character of elena and there is that one scene where they instantly take against her because she um breastfeeds i i know obviously we started with the luke special the son um did it was it it was him saying like where's mum gone and then him going off to discover the body which was such a arbitrary scene but it was a very bear with us because we know there's a lot it's going to be like a lot of uh, upper class people speaking in rooms Hugh Grant playing Hugh Grant until that final third of the episode it it was just a lot of talk it was just a lot of talking and not much action you know they were building up these characters as you say you saw Nicole Kidman as the therapist in a few scenes Hugh Grant being very you know, humorous, charismatic as as the husband, you know, um, having this discussion with his son about not wanting a dog. Um, and, th- and then we got these, all these women sort of sniping at each other. Uh, we had uh, Janelle Maloney, a bit of a West Wing crossover here. Mm-hmm. As one of yeah. the as one of these women, then as you say, all the tone just completely shifted. Uh, you mm. know, this woman, and we we knew something was going to happen to her because of that initial scene, um, and then it's suddenly because you say that Jonathan can't be found. He was going to be going off to a convention in was it Cleveland yeah. or somewhere. You know, it wasn't like he should have been at home, but there was the insinuation that he couldn't be contacted. She didn't know which hotel he was staying in. She got through to someone with the same name and felt like he could be cheating on her, but it was a guy with an American accent. I just, yeah, yeah. I, I, I found this quite a, a chore to get through, yes. if I'm honest. It took me a couple of goes. 
it got going as it went on. There wasn't enough intrigue here. I think if no. if if this was one that they put on all to stream, I might have watched the second episode, but I don't think it justifies waiting that week to see what mm. happens next. I've just got very little interest in it. I mean, it does like it looks fantastic. They've got some really good sets. You know, I, I think Hugh Grant as well. Just it, it felt like. I was watching Hugh Grant rather yeah, than the, fa- the family the dynamic. The family dynamic is just non-existent, really. It's just Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant being Hugh Grant, and Noah Jupe. It's hard for me to add anything to what you said, and really, because in Big Little Lies, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern, those characters are quite hard to like. But we had Shailene Woodley in there, and I don't think yeah. they've got that. They killed that equivalent character off basically after a few scenes. I've seen a lot of people say they know it's not that interesting, but they're just watching it for Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, which is not something I do. There has to be something in it below the surface for me. It's written like a Lifetime movie. It's just all very on the surface. There's no depth to this at all. There's not a level of intrigue. And I think there's a bit of a theme on this week's podcast, perhaps spoiler for the next show we're going to discuss, that this is a really talented group of people getting together and producing something that's really lacklustre. I found it really boring, really slow-paced. I find Nicole Kidman, even in Big Little Lies, to be quite a, a hard character to connect with and to warm to because she's always in this world that most of us can't even aspire to get to. And whilst in Big Little Lies it was all sun-drenched and and things like that, and we we like we like seeing them and swipe think, and bitch at one yeah, another. But here, I think it's just really bland. I, I was just going to say Nicole Kidman's performance in Big Little Lies is quite understated. It's mm, you she's know quite the, relaxed in a way, yeah, the, even though the, it's quite a yeah. dramatic performance. Yeah, you know she she's she does really well in that to uh, play a victim of domestic abuse who is sort of, you know, trying to put a brave face on things, but is broken inside. They didn't use her to her best abilities until those final scenes where she's desperately trying to find uh, Jonathan and can't find him, you know, after this tragedy has occurred. It, It relied, as you say, on the big names to sell it to people. Here's Nicole Kidman again. Looks quite similar to Big Little Lies. You say David E. Kelly. I like the director Suzanne Beer as well. I think she is quite a talented director, but she's not given a, a great deal to work with here, and and the results are just, just as I say, it was just quite dull. I found bland. it very dull, very bland. And when you're not invested, it's hard not to mm. go. That's Nicole Kidman. That's Hugh mm. Grant. I didn't for one second believe that she was. I no, thought she was not... better than him. I know you said it was based on a, on a book, but I think mm. David E. Kelly possibly wrote this with Hugh Grant in mind uh, because it does play to his strengths as this sort of sarcastic Brit, you know. So that is The Undoing. Six episodes, because it's on HBO, as Matt says, it requires the week-to-week viewing Mondays at 9 o'clock. Next up is Amazon's brand-new comedy that re-teams Simon Pegg and Nick Frost of a fashion. This is called Truth Seekers. Would you mind, Matt? It's created by um, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, along with uh, James Serafinovich and Nat Saunders. It stars Nick Frost as Gus Roberts, a man who installs broadband and is also obsessed with the paranormal. 
looks into the sort of the bizarre bits of his of his job and and looks for signs to other worlds in things that others would miss. In this first episode, um, he is teamed up with a character called Elton, who we later find out his surname is John. Hilarious. Uh, played by Samson Ko, uh, who is the sort of naive junior and slowly discovers what's going on. You know what the Gus, Gussie's world is below the surface. Simon Pegg pops up from time to time as Dave, Gus Boss at the uh, broadband company, and um, Malcolm McDowell on a stairlift as, uh, as Gussie's dad. Um, Luke, what did you think? Oh, oh. I found this hard going, properly hard going. It's half an hour. I didn't think any of the jokes particularly landed. I didn't. I think Nick Frost is very talented. I always look forward to seeing him in things but for this for for me this is just nick frost playing nick frost it wasn't mm. didn't add anything to his cv for me this i just found it all very boring and i couldn't wait for it to be over and i know that's wrong of me to say for me it was an ex- another example of great talent that i admire and respect just not working at the top of the game and delivering something that just felt a little bit bland a little bit like something itv2 would have had on i actually mm-hmm. preferred uh we talked a long time ago about ghosted which was, ghosted, a similar, I was going to compare it to ghosted. similar premise with craig robinson and adam scott i think it was two years ago now or maybe time has no meaning anymore but it was a while ago and that had similar themes and two central male performances and i enjoyed that i found that funny and that was heightened and silly this always, almost for me in this first episode, which admittedly was the only one I watched, took itself very seriously. It was quite down and gloomy. It wasn't wasn't zany or anything like that. And I think it needed to be. It needed to be lifted up and sort of heightened for me to really get on board with it. Instead, I found it rather plodding and boring. And um, Samson Ku, Susan, you know, Susan Womacker. Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, these people we know are capable of so much and together they've just created something that I found surprisingly dull. It just feels like something I've seen before. Yeah. There doesn't it's seem original. No, it no. doesn't seem to be feel and as you say, you know, even though it's on Amazon, it feels like it's a Dave original or a ICV two original. The the sort of the big build up was that this woman's house was sort of haunted by her dad and, and the the end almost gag of her inhabiting the dog and that was never followed and I was like mm. are you just going to leave it there I, I'm not going to be watching anymore I I don't feel like I know a, a great deal about Gus and I think reading on it does seem like his hunt for the paranormal is linked to something that happened previously but I think they could have added a little bit more see a little bit more of his relationship with his dad perhaps. You know, there's e, Malcolm McDowell only popped up in a couple of scenes where they were sort of sniping with each other and didn't really add anything to it for me. And I think this is one we'll forget about quite quickly. Yeah. I wonder as well, with, the, with these streaming shows, I wonder whether there's a, a level of presumption by, by Amazon, by Netflix, that because they're all there and because you've got 30 seconds to stop it before the next one comes, whether there's just this assumption that it doesn't really matter how good the first one is because people will just watch on because it's all there. So if there's a if there's something in the first episode that interests them, they're going to keep going. 
But as a, as a first episode, I just found it quite slow, dreary. It it wasn't didn't feel like a comedy to me. The gags didn't land. There was nothing unique about it. It could have been on years ago. A couple of years from now, when Simon Pegg and Nick Frost team up again, I can imagine us saying, what was that last thing they were mm. in? It was on Amazon. It What was that called? You know, and it's, you shouldn't feel like that with with this sort of talent at no. the helm. But it, and it I really... think as well, the fact that every episode is written by four people may mean that it's all got a bit muddled, you know, it doesn't have a clear voice, and I think maybe that's part of the reason for it, that Peg Frost and the other two two writers are all um, chipping in, and, and the result is it all feels just a bit messy and not focused enough. Truth Seekers, Amazon. We're really uh, selling these shows this week. I know, God. And all there now, should you wish to go in on that. Next up then, Adult Material, a show we have loved, and have praised, and that is so deep and dense, we've had enough to discuss about it over the last four weeks. That came to a close in its Monday night at 10 o'clock time slot. Yeah, I I felt this was sort of episode four and a half. I mean, I'll I'll start with my, before I sort of set it up, I would say that it feels like they had enough material to do five. The first, I suppose, half of this episode is all centred around um, the the court case, the defamation lawsuit, where Stella is defending Jolene. She goes in quite hard about the revelation she made last week about uh, what Tom painted to her, but her pride stops her from really wanting to go into any more, more detail. Stella helps her be reunited with Phoebe, who comforts her after the court case. Uh, she then finds out that she's she's lost and has to pay uh, legal costs to Carol. During this as well, we also find out that um, someone has put a fake video of Tom and uh, Jolene slash Haley on line, and this leads to him eventually offering her the chance to actually do a, a, a scene together, which she does to get the money to... You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tura Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. Both pay off. Carol and afford to send Phoebe to university on a horticultural course. We also got Amy's continued story where it turns out on the video that she lied about having an STD. This leads to her going to work as an escort. And and we said last week as well, and we were very clever in this, that the happy ending for Haley would be to be reunited with her children, which she was at the end. You know, yes. she had she had that conversation with Phoebe. Again, on a bench like she had the conversation with Stella it very much mirrored that where she was saying you know it wasn't okay what your boyfriend did to you and if you want to 
go to the police or talk to him about it or confront him about it. I am going to be here for you. And then it ended again, almost sort of like a tie into how the series started with a very tender scene between herself and Rich, who had split up with his new girlfriend, had come round to fix the pipes, almost like a very pornographic, you know, like set up for a porn film. He's on duty call or something for the plumber and um, they end up having this really sort of tender sex scene uh, together, which which ends the show. But for me, it felt like it had more endings than The Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, I suppose the, the other thing I should say about the the scene that she shoots with Tom Payne is it's like she's the one in, who's got the power. She's taken she's the power written the script. back from him. She's written the script and her friend is directing it and she has the last, the last laugh, the last line to Tom saying, you know, one day these things will catch up with you. I, I know what you mean about the the one, two, three, four endings. I just left this with a smile on my face, feeling immensely satisfied, immensely happy where the characters ended up. I loved, predictably, the scene between Haley and Phoebe where she says, you know, I was a baby when I had you and you've turned out brilliantly, but it could have gone the other way and... I was wrong to give you the advice I gave you. If you want to reconcile, reconcile, but please tell him how you feel. You cannot go through life thinking that is the right way for people to behave. Uh, I liked that the reunion between her other children, or the reunion with her son, I should say, who we remember sort of saw shocking images of his mum when he typed in her, her porn name into the internet. Uh, that wasn't sweet or or saccharine. That was a young boy almost doing it because his dad asked him to reunite with his mother and they had this uh, sort of tepid embrace where he eventually succumbed to her but really was still unsure about who she was and what she was presented and how he felt about her. That was good. And I think although it had all those endings, it felt cohesive. It felt like... One piece that hangs together well. I just just felt like it was, it felt like it should have been five parts because for episode four to end with her finding out that she's lost, and then episode five being everything, you know, her regaining her power with Tom and reuniting with the children and reuniting with Rich, that felt like its own episode in in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I like the way that they did the court case that you didn't hear from everyone, that they just used like music when you saw Phil Daniels doing, you know, testifying and, and, and the other people who were who were asked um, to testify. I think for me, two things, and this adds to it, that there were some certain plot threads that I felt could have had a little bit more time devoted to them. One was the stuff with Amy. We never sort of got a handle on why she was that way you know there was the insinuation there was a scene with the parents last week um that i don't think that that maybe we were given enough even to put two and two together about you know what did she have a psychotic episode why are her parents Mm -hmm. like this you know why is she making up these things what 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 is the issue uh that that she has uh the other thing as well which i felt like it was dropped a little bit from last week was the stuff with with izzy who was a big character the the other daughter Last week, you know, she was doing these online videos. She was 
like being like a latchkey kid of her own right you know mum was working she was making her own dinners and things um and this week she did, she barely appeared you know we didn't have those mm. scenes with her and in you know like we saw the the other two children reconciling with her there should have been the scene with her i feel like Izzy, Izzy and Haley, where she says i'm sorry so sorry i've neglected you I, I mean i don't know but it felt like maybe a lot more had been written and cut out because Channel 4 wanted it as a four. This could have been five episodes. Her selling her car to send Phoebe to university or college. Uh, yeah, well, that's I, what I really she enjoyed did. it. She was, yeah, she was doing sort of, you know, scraping by, as you say, selling the car, buying, like, the reduced food at the supermarket, but then saying when when Stella questioned her about it it was about doing this film with tom payne she's like i don't want to live like this i want to live in the way that i've already become accustomed to you know they, they mentioned selling her house as as collateral to and what i, lo- what I loved about that was she said i'm, I'm not going to sell my house because when i was younger i never dreamed that i would live in a house like this and it was her saying if I sell this, then everything I've done, everything I've achieved is just gone. Because that I don't view my house as a home for my children, although it's incredibly important. It's her greatest achievement in life to be able to do better than her, than her childhood self believed she could have achieved. So I, I think it's pretty perfect. Yeah. I, I, know, I agree with you about the multiple endings. But I think all in all, I came away thinking, yes, mm. everybody was left in the right place. They even made the suggestion that perhaps she was going to pack the drinking in as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe she could recover from her cirrhosis. So, yes. Yeah, they did mention that, didn't they? Like when she said, let's go for a drink at the Estella. And I, I like, again, it sort of had that authenticity to it in the, you know, that she lost and Stella was very disappointed in her that she'd agreed to do this film because she felt like she was trying to better her in a way, and and that felt quite authentic. That sort of Stella had lost what she was fighting for, and I did like that sort of the recurring thing of her trying to kiss her all the time and her yeah. saying, you know, no, that it literally makes me want to heave. I mean, we have been praising Haley Squires throughout. I think she's been brilliant in this. I was reading a really interesting interview though, actually, with Lucy Kirkwood, who said. Initially, Sherry, obviously, we know Sheridan Smith was cast and then there was this scheduling conflict and we got Hayley Squire. It allowed her to tell a slightly different story because, and I didn't realise this, that Hayley Squires is several years younger than Sheridan Smith and how it looked at the way that your career in porn ages you out really, really quickly. So even though she's like 32, 33, she's seen as like, as Tom Payne describes her, like a MILF. You know, I don't yeah. do MILFs. You're lucky yeah. to be here. One of the best series of the year, all in all, even though mm-hmm. I had a few more issues with mm-hmm. it maybe than you did. I mean, I've already, you know, decided next year's best actress lineup at the BAFTAs is Hayley Squires, Michaela Cole, Billy Piper and Daisy Edgar-Jones. So if you haven't seen it, watch I mean, we spoilt every second of yeah. it because we've talked about every inch of the mm. brilliance of it. But uh, if well, you intended. Let's say so. But if if you want to watch it, it's all on all four now as a box set. Adult material, one of our favourites of 2020. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email. CustardTVReviews at gmail.com
as the US prepares to go to the polls, Matt decided to look to ask me. I suppose. Uh, I suppose as it the, coincided uh, with it arriving on all four as well. Yeah, it's suppose... a show that when Gary was on, he championed, but Matt and I had never really given our thoughts on. For me, was that there wasn't a great deal else to talk about. No. It seemed quite apropos as, as today is the U.S. election, and as you say, it's all come on to all four. It's a show that I mean, I have seen. I think the first four and maybe bit seasons, I sort of dropped out of it when when Rob Lowe left. It's a show that you've tried to get into a couple of times and haven't been able to, and it's one that is sort of well-regarded as one of the best TV yeah. shows of all time. The West Wing um, is what we're talking about. West I didn't Wing. say that. Okay. <laughs> yes, the West Wing. Um, and um, I, I don't know how much we need to set it up, really. A lot of people love it. I think it's better regarded here than I remember it being in the States, although it was this big award winner and... And things it's never talked about in the same regard as these other big shows to come after it. But here in the UK, there is a fierce fan base who consider it to be one of the best shows in television history. I suppose if you don't know what The West Wing is, it's basically about the staff who work behind the scenes at the West Wing for the president, uh, who's played here by Martin Sheen, Jed Bartlett. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose if we go straight into the pilot and the first scene or so of the pilot, you do get introduced to all of these characters who we will be meeting as they all find out that the uh, president has been in an accident on his on his bike. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you've got uh, Richard Schiff as Toby Ziegler, who is coming back from somewhere on a plane and he's being really finickety with the flight staff who are asking him to turn off his laptop, turn off his phone. Leo disagreeing with the, the spelling of a clue in the crossword. CJ, who's the press secretary, and she mm -hmm. is working out, being sort of really intense on a treadmill and saying this is her me time and then suddenly gets a call. Uh, Rob Lowe, Sam Seaborn, who is in a bar and meets a woman. You know, you get the impression that he's quite smooth and quite smooth talking. And then we meet uh, Bradley Whitford's John, Josh Lyman, who is um, asleep at his desk, has been working all night. So he's sort of the workaholic. And you get those personalities, I suppose, don't you? As we go on, we're also introduced to Mandy Hampton, who's a, a media consultant who Josh had a relationship with, who is working with like a governor who she thinks may be a presidential candidate and then inevitably ends up working, uh, getting hired to work for the president in the second episode. So yeah. what I suppose, I mean, you've seen this before. Have you? Do, yes. do you feel I've... any differently watching it this time? Um, and if so, why? This is probably my third go at it. And... What I would say, when I was thinking about it for the podcast, I was think the first thing I thought was, um, although you're right, they do, uh, Sorkin does a brilliant job of setting up uh, who these people are. I struggled to know what their role was, apart from CJ. I didn't really understand where they, uh, what their job descriptions were or, or anything I, like I that. I think... I think Sam does a good job at that when they because there's that scene isn't there when there's a lot of um, children coming to the White House for a visit and he says yeah. I'm this character I'm this character because he says he's he's communication director and that you know Toby is 
he's deputy toby's the communication director you know that cj is the press secretary you then pick up on you know leo being the chief of staff he says you know i've been with with president bartlett for for all this time i think the only thing you might not pick up on straight away is that uh josh is under him so a lot of people say that sorkin is one of the best writers of his generation and a a, a smaller amount of people say that it's all too quick talking, it's all a bit self-satisfied, it's all a bit smug. I'm afraid I still fit into that category a little bit. It's it's just a bit too smug for me. What do you mean? Well, they're just all a bit too smug. I could never relax into it. I don't agree. I don't agree with that. I don't agree. Talking over each other the whole time, and it's really frustrating, as you're finding out now, as I interrupt you. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's one of those things, as well, isn't it? Sort of looking behind the curtain, knowing who's written something, as opposed to if you were there watching this in 1999, Mm. you wouldn't have had that knowledge of of who Aaron Sorkin was, perhaps. I think the characters are likeable. I, think I didn't think the... they were in this pilot. I don't, apart, no. from, apart from CJ, I no. didn't really feel like I liked any of the, the others. So, what about the second episode, then? You said that the pilot you didn't... Did you find them more likeable in the second episode? A little episode? bit more. I was more in the rhythm. What I, what, I, what I don't like about it, and what I don't like about this type of American drama... Considering we're talking about Freaks and Geeks, which in my view hasn't dated, this does feel incredibly dated. And because of the American politics we're in, almost feels almost fairy tale esque now. And it's it's for me, it's just too idealistic. There's some really cheesy scenes where President Bartlett is talking to his doctor, who you you know is going to be part of this awful uh, helicopter crash later on. But it's just really cheesy. I didn't believe it. I thought the score was irritating. See, yeah, no, I would, yeah. I disagree with that. And I dramatic and and yeah. and yeah, didn't like. No, it. I I I did relax into it to the extent that I wanted to carry on. I feel this is a very warm show. I feel it's a very authentic show, and I think as it goes on, you find out about the dark side, if you will, to a lot of these characters. You know, like yeah, Toby but do you not and find Leo. The idealistic stuff a little bit what do you too... mean the idea what do you mean by that well the, the way it talks about america is this powerhouse of a nation and the way that president bartlett talks and he says to the guy he's just about to leave his office and he says look at your photo these these are the most important people in your life look at the photo again it's all really really saccharine and and sugary and i i didn't like it and i get that criticism to an extent but it's not something that particularly bothers me or bothered me you know that is i suppose that is the tone of the show that this is none of these are perfect characters you know these are the people who are running the country but they are not perfect you know the characters behind running the country are not idealistic um and you know the country isn't perfect but i think they have to think like that because they're the people in charge of it aren't they at the end i think those characters should think like that because they're you know if you don't like america what are you doing be you know being the president do you know i I know i know what you mean i know what you mean for me it just feels too polished it doesn't feel grounded or it just it just feels 
too self-serving for its audience. It knows what its audience wants it to be, and it is that show. It, yeah, I I think that might figured. be the. I think that might be it. You know, because you've lived in the states, you know what that audience is, and maybe mm. you know, as you said, it's got more of a grounding in in the UK because we haven't got that experience of what these people are. You know, what the demographic is. I think we just more mm. gel with the characters, with the right. And I think the script is witty. I do like the dialogue. I do like Sorkin. You know, I've liked the film scripts he's written for Steve Jobs. And I mean, the, the sort of the precursor to this was a film called The American President with with Michael Douglas, which Martin Sheen was in, in the sort of the Leo role. And I do, you mentioned the Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. School, which again didn't bother me. I liked. I re- I think the the opening music. I really oh, liked. See, so- I don't like that. I forget what show it was, mm. but we spoke a while ago, and you said all the characters are just. They've all got smart quips. They're all just one character says something and the other one quips back. And that's what the West Wing is to me. It's smart people talking to smart people. Uh, You know, obviously having seen four seasons, I think the characters do become more complex. I think there is those elements of, you know, the walking and talking and the, and the quick dialogue, but I don't think it, it, you know, there is base to these characters more so than just them being quick and having comebacks and things like that you know if you are in a job like that you do need to be like that you know if you are the press secretary you do need to have these on hand you do need to be quick thinking in these jobs so it is it is believable in this world you know they wouldn't have got these jobs if they can't think on their feet and and i think and and again you are going to disagree with me but i think the introduction of jeb bartlett at the end of that first episode where he does the whole, you know, I am the Lord of your master mm. and comes in and has a go at these fundamentalists and, and kicks them out. And, and mm. I thought that's all really well done. I get what you mean in terms of the idealistic nature of it. And if you are looking for a show that is rough around the edges and a bit darker, this isn't for you, but this was an NBC drama from 20 years ago. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't like it. It's one of those things <laughs> where I don't like it. Let's continue this with, let's see what Gary, why Gary likes it so much. Hello. Matt and I agreed to watch the first two episodes of a little show you've seen called The West Wing. Right? Oh! <laughs> oh! Oh! It's finally <laughs> happening. For me, 
it's too idealistic and I called it smug and, and Matt didn't really understand that but it's just smart people quipping backwards and forwards through each other at such a rate of, of speed that I, I struggled to believe it. Can you see my point of view or not? No, because I'm clever. <laughs> uh, so, I think, Gary, uh, sorry, no, Gary, I, before you before you start, I think we, because you were, I don't know why if he was going to have you on, he didn't let you into all of the conversation. Part of the reason I think we've drilled down into is that Luke lived in the States, so has a slightly different opinion of maybe who is playing to and, and that demographic that maybe it's we... Anno- de- yeah, it's annoying. I found it annoyingly idealistic. It was almost fantasy in a way, but I mean, even more so now in the political climate that we live in, but we have to judge it on its merits in 99. You have to remember how old this show is and how unique. At that time, the American people had never seen a show that had explained the inner workings of the White House before. The original premise of the show was not to have the American president featured at all. The only reason that they had the president is because Martin Sheen was so darn good in the in the rehearsals and the pilot that they decided to actually include him in the show. I don't know if anybody would have liked it as much without him, and I don't know if it would have been such the hit if you hadn't have had that dynamic of the president and his staff and the ensemble cast, which I think to me is what makes it. Yes, the first episode is, I mean, it's a crescendo. It builds to the point of his entry. I I think what you get in those first two episodes is a microcosm of most of the first couple of series. The the, the writing style and the political visions are very much one-sided. And and if you don't agree them, do you not find it sugary, though, and saccharine in places? No, no, no. I don't see that they're being smarmy. They're being clever. They're in the White House. You don't get to be in the White House then. The idea was being in the White House meant you were the best of the best. I literally just said that, Gary. That's really annoying. I just said the same thing. (laughs) It's true. These are clever people, and, and they're making big decisions. You know, They're helping the president, who ultimately has to make the big decisions. You have these intimate, low-level conversations one minute, and then the next minute, you're in the Situation Room dealing with world issues. Not many mm. other shows go from an insignificant conversation to a world decision so quickly, efficiently, and believably. I find Sorkin's writing just... Maybe I should have used your word, smarmy, rather than smug. It's like everyone's at this level, and, and they're just... They chat all over each other. If I was in that room, I'd have to shake him and go, one at a time. How much other Sorkin have you watched? Have you watched anything else that he's done? Like half of the social network before I had to turn that off for similar reasons. For me, Gary, in terms of Sorkin's TV work, I think this was where he peaked. I wasn't massive. I watched all of Studio 60, but I wasn't massively into that. I think I found the newsroom how Luke feels about the Westwood. I think that got to the point where... It was overly smug. I did feel that about the newsroom. I don't feel that about the West Wing because I think the characters all felt authentic. And I think as it goes on, you do get to learn more about their backstories, about, you know, their insecurities, as well as, you know, as you say, this idealistic smugness that you feel each of them has. I think they each carve out that identity 
I tried the newsroom. I probably tried three or four episodes. It didn't work for me. I think as he's as he has gone on, in certainly his TV work, I think has become a little bit more, as Luke said, sort of smug and and a bit more smart. agenda driven. Yeah, yeah, agenda, yeah. agenda driven, exactly. And I think that, that you, found, I found that in Studio Sixty as well. His films, though, I've always enjoyed. I've, I, you know, I like Social Network. I like Steve Jobs. I like Moneyball. I like that style. But I think, in terms of his TV work, I think The West Wing has certainly survived for me because of the ensemble cast, those characters, the chemistry between them. The dialogue, which I didn't have an issue with because it worked within the confines of the space where the characters inhabit. And it just feels quite warm. It feel, it is very much it, it's something you, you said you couldn't relax into, Luke. I always can. And also I struggle with things. It's the same reason I struggle with another one of the US juggernauts, Mad Men, is it's a lot of white men in a room talking about things. I've learned over the years right. that that is almost a genre in itself that I struggle with. I, I like got... CJ because she was a compelling female character with a good voice, with a position of power, and I liked her back and forth with the press. In terms of female characters, specifically in these first two that we watched for the podcast, there wasn't any anything there for me to hang my and I, on. And I would say that that's one of, one of his failings in the first series. The only other female character of any note is Mandy. And, and I'm afraid... That's irritating. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of West Wing fans do, yeah. and, and she doesn't I... come back for series two. Three female characters that you don't get a lot of in this first series, which do make a big impact, is Mrs. Landingham. Mm. Um, he's, uh, she he's... has a big impact from what I... She has a big there. impact. She has more <laughs> impact going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, hilarious. Oh, he's yeah. got jokes. Secondly is his daughter, Zoe. And then thirdly, his wife, an absolute tour de force. When she arrives and when she causes chaos, it is fantastic. After realising that he needs to write more of CJ than Mandy, that's what you get in the later series. Uh, Strong women who need the screen time. Thank you, Gary, for your thoughts. I know I'm in the minority, specifically in the UK people. Adore this show. Because I remember that you encouraged me to go watch Cold Feet and I only lasted 10 minutes. So do you know yes. what? We did two episodes. Yes. So, and you know, to be fair, fair, I didn't I didn't, I didn't hate, you know, on the podcast, okay. I hated things. What did you like about it? Because you've told us what you didn't okay. like. What did you like about it? I liked CJ. I liked her back and forth with the press. She rang very true to, true to me. I thought Alison Janney was believable and warm. I think it's easier for me to say what I didn't like because everything else I did. So I didn't I didn't think Martin Sheen was that good in these first two episodes. And yes, you only see him at the end of episode one. But in episode two, to use Gary's phrase, I found him a bit I found him too smarmy. One of the plot points that comes up is he is a he is a snob. He's an elite. He is highly educated. He's an economist. He is not a president because he is a politician. He is a president because he, he is the best in his field. You talked about the warmth, and I, I didn't feel that. For me, the warmth was was almost too sweet and saccharine and sugary. If for some reason I am not gelling with Sorkin's writing, then I'm not all of a sudden, in the middle of episode six, going to have an epiphany. It's all going to click into place, is it? No, it, it, it's it, if you're not a fan of his writing style, you're not gonna you're not gonna enjoy the show. You'll enjoy certain moments, and you'll probably enjoy certain episodes. 
But the whole first series is pretty much Aaron Sorkin. So you're pretty much right. You're not going to get into the show if you're not a fan of his. Thank you so much, Gary. If you want to keep in touch with Gary on Twitter, he's at The Gary Show. Bye. Bye. Let me play this backwards. This is it then. We have reached the end of season one. I don't know why I keep saying that. Of the only season of Briggs and Geeks. Uh, Yes, it is both. I'm right. Um, This is episode 17 and 18, and I haven't got the details up to now. Episode 17 is The Little Things, which um, the two stories here, we first got um, Sam's uh, relationship with Cindy. Obviously, this has been built up over the season that he had a crush on her. Uh, In the last episode, which was Smooching and Mooching, we saw that um, they had their first kiss at this makeout party. Um, but now he has started dating and he's finding out that he actually absolutely hates her. I mean, this is coming at the time that uh, Vice President, as was George Bush, is visiting the school and um, Cindy is the head of the Young Republicans and she's recently split up with her boyfriend, Todd, who was a Democrat. Um, Sam is just finding he's he's trawling around her at the mall and um when he takes her to see the jerk she doesn't have any interest in it at all uh we've got just Lynn... pause there have yep. you seen the jerk no okay no because i never have as well i no. just wondered what what it was about that film that appealed to them all so carry on, i think sorry. it's just quite a madcap comedy like with steve martin i think it is um we've got Lindsay's story here where um she is given the right to ask uh, George Bush the first question at the um, when he comes for a Q and A. We well, have to say that this sort of timed out quite nicely in terms of our political theme. That we're yes, and that we seem um, to and on whether to ask the question that has been given to her, which is what is what is your favourite place to eat in since you've been here, or to ask him something more cutting. Um, there, this is sort of interspersed with the fact that the uh, Secret Service are doing the background checks on everyone and the Secret Service agent played by Ben Stiller has um, they deemed that the guidance counsellor um, whose name escapes me at the moment it is uh, Mr Rosso it is um, because he was part of political rallies when he was a student isn't going to be allowed to go into the um you know watch the thing with everyone else isn't allowed to be uh have an audience with the president and there's a nice little scene there between him and Lindsay, where it's almost her giving him advice about Mm. you know did we really change anything when we were protesting you know i was you when i was younger oh bush's people rejected your question so they've written one for you here what is your favorite place to eat in the state of michigan what, the, what happened? The Bush people found the ones you wrote to sophisticated. Sophisticated? What does that mean? That's code for nice try, but this is a glorified photo opportunity. <laughs> Look, I'm disappointed too, okay? But let's try and keep a positive perspective on all this, okay? You actually get to interact with the Vice President of the United States. That's historic. Ooh, maybe if I'm lucky, you'll tell me which steakhouse is the best prime rib. Don't you think I'm PO2? I thought we were going to have an actual political conversation. You can't win with these people. 
You know what all my protesting accomplished in the 60s at Berkeley? 16 scars on my head from a tear gas canister. We tried to get them to stop the war. They stopped the war when they felt like it. And now all my compatriots are getting rich, working Wall Street, and I can't get my keys out of my mother's car. The other storyline here is around Ken, and now you may remember episodes and episodes ago, uh, Ken had uh, become, begun a relationship with Amy who was one of Lindsay's friends who played in the band and she is going to be playing Hail to the Chief uh, at this introduction and um, as her and Ken's relationship is progressing she reveals that when she was born she was uh, intersex meaning that she was born with both a male and female uh, organs and uh, the decision was made for her to be raised as a girl but she wants to tell Ken this uh, because it's a part of her identity and um, Ken then gets really hung up on this that he doesn't know whether he's gay, that he does he want to split up with his um with his, with Amy. There's a great scene with him and Mr. Rosso where he says, Oh, yeah. I thought you were gay. Um what? No, gets, why would you think that? Gets really aggressive with with um Daniel and Nick when he tells them about it. Uh but in the end, there's a really, and this is the one I remember. I think I yeah. must have seen yeah. at least this episode because I remember this scene with with Sam and Ken when they're both in the bathrooms. Sam saying, "I need to break up with Cindy uh, because we've got nothing in common." She hated doing this, and then Ken saying, "I'm going to have to break up with Amy," and then Sam saying all the stuff that. Cindy doesn't like, and she, he's like, well, no, my girlfriend's really great like this. My girlfriend loved the jerk, blah, blah, blah. And then he, he realises through that conversation what was How, I... Like, what, yeah. And, How and good he's got it. And, yeah. so, and, I, I, and I think, I mean, we said this, we are talking on Twitter during the week, that you absolutely love this episode, and this might be your favourite one of the series. It might be, yeah. I still the garage door, whenever I think of Frigs and Geeks, I think the garage door. But this, this we we've spoken as well about how considering what a big name he is and how fondly we remember the show, that actually when you re-watch it in, in a concentrated effort like we have, Seth Rogen's role is quite minor. But then when he's given the opportunity to have a story like this and you you see behind the veneer of Ken, I find it really, really endearing. And also the fact that this storyline would be something we'd just cover now in, in a show like Euphoria or similar shows like Grand Army or something like that. In 99, this would have been quite a, yeah, quite a story to tell and pushing the boundaries and, and uh, making people, I would imagine, in certain parts of America. Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to Discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. America, not that I agree, but certain parts of America would have been immediately turned off by even the idea of this story and uncomfortable with its nature. Freaks and geeks, I'm sick of saying it here. Such, it's like a warm hug, uh, and I just adore spending time with these characters. As you say, that that sequence in the bathroom where Sam and Ken have that brief exchange 
where he said, you know, they don't really know each other. He says, are you Lindsay's brother? Yes, yeah, Sam. Why, why are you looking so down? Because I'm going to break up. I think you should just, pl- I think you should just play it here. Hey, are you Lindsay's brother? Sam, yeah. Did you just puke? No, I'm nervous. Because of George Bush? I'm going to break up with Cindy Sanders. <laughs> wow. Why, man? She's hot. You know, she's just really different than I am. Yeah, I, I know how that one goes. I've been thinking I have to break up with my girlfriend, too. Oh, how come? It's complicated. Very complicated. It's just we don't have anything in common. I mean, she thought the jerk was stupid. Are you serious? Man, my girlfriend loved the jerk. Well, we don't have anything to talk about. She doesn't like anything that I like. We never have any fun together. That's too bad, man. Really, my... My girlfriend's pretty cool when it comes to stuff like that. God, then what's the problem? I don't know. Well, I'm gonna break up with Cindy Sanders. Good luck, buddy. Thanks. So that scene is is just one of the loveliest bits of the whole series. And I think we said last week that one of the episodes had two or no had three stories that didn't hang together. Here Lindsay is on the periphery. Her story is important because it incorporates Mr. Rosso and it, it talks about something big like the vice president coming to the school. And but all three stories feel cohesive. They also have one of the things I love about Freaks and Geeks, the scene between the Weir siblings where Lindsay mm. says, you can't just go out with her because you, you she looks nice. You have to go out with her because you like her and you find her interesting. She gives him a hickey in the cinema and he's really uncomfortable with yeah. that. doesn't want to show it off. It shows again how he, Sam as a character, is still... He's in this adult world and dipping his feet into these things that somebody of his age he believes should be doing but he's a child at heart and he's not quite adult no. or grown up enough to to understand them fully or, or know the ins and outs yeah. of things and actually you know this really is a is sort of a three-hander really it's lindsay sam and ken all the other characters certainly um neil and bill are very secondary here you know mm. they're just saying you shouldn't break up with her um th- i mean Daniel and Nick sort of act as, as, as sort of confidants for Ken, and there is a great scene actually where Ken hits Daniel, and then Daniel yeah. comes to pick him up because he knows how Ken's feeling. You know, he doesn't have to say it; he knows that he didn't mean to to hurt him. And actually, um, this shows, and, and I know we saw it in the last episode as well with Daniel. You know him. Uh, home with his parents that they were tr- obviously trying to expand on Daniel's character a little bit more which we get again in the final episode and it is really sad that they didn't get, we didn't get to see any more of, of what they were going to do with him because it looks like he was going to get a little bit more to him than just the outsider you know this cool guy that there was a lot going on and I really liked that scene that silent scene between Franco and, and Seth Rogen they played that was played 
really, really well. Mm. It's 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 the perfect episode of Freaks and Geese because it just enhances everything that was was lovely about it. Was brilliant about it. And, and actually, it gives these young oh, actors a time to shine, which is I, what the I was going to. I was going to say about the actress who played Cindy as well, because I've been sort of disparaging about her in the past, but I thought here she was this was probably the most time she'd been on screen. And actually I found her really good here, you know, playing Mm. this, the, I suppose we'd seen the idealized version of her previously through Sam's eyes, but in large chunks, we see that actually she's quite an awful person and, and her saying, I feel like I need to date a nice guy and that's why I'm going out with Sam to begin with. And it's like, you're a nice guy. You shouldn't have split with me. What are you doing? And also there's that, that sequence we didn't mention where he gives her an, his grandmother's yes, necklace. Yes, heirloom. And, and, and she and doesn't, doesn't want to wear it because it's not, you know, it doesn't fit with her style. She finds it unattractive. She finds it old-fashioned. And you just, your heart breaks for him because he's, he wants her to enjoy it. He wants her to enjoy the things he loves because he likes spending time with her, but she's not this brilliant person he built up in his mind. Brilliant. Uh, lastly, and it is lastly, it's the final episode, Discos and Dragons. This sees the freaks accidentally stumble on the fact that Nick is back dating Sarah, played by Lizzie Kaplan, and that she's been teaching him to dance and they go to the one of the last remaining disco um disco joints in the area that's um seth's character ken um, what, Ke- i was just talking about him so eloquently i completely forgot my name ken shouts out in this place disco sucks and then the camera reveals that nick and sarah have been there and nick has has much in the way that um that sam has fallen under cindy's spell and he's doing all the things she likes to do he He's doing disco and trying to find out where he fits in the world. He reveals to Lindsay that he's not smoking the weed anymore, that he's more focused on life. But the the, the rest of the freaks feel like he's just doing this and being with Sarah just to make Lindsay jealous. Uh, the other side of the story is that Daniel is hasn't got the notes for a test. He was going to cheat off somebody in class who doesn't turn up due to an injury. He tries to pull the fire alarm, but Mr. Rosso spots him before he gets the chance. And as a punishment of sorts, he is taken into the audiovisual group, which is where the geeks hang out all the time. And uh, he sort of finds a kinship with them when they invite him over to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons, a game he'd never heard of and never played before. And also, Lindsay gets the. Um, onto a program to go to college and be with people of a, of in a like mind and a like in, yeah in in Washington she of people of a like mind and like intelligence and she's considering this but it doesn't really fit with the friendship group that she's in now she doesn't really feel as if it's for her it would have been from her when she was with Millie and the athletes all those years ago before her grandmother's death but now this new Lindsay is unsure whether it's the path she wants to take in the meantime, Mr. Rosso uh, gives her a copy of the Grateful Dead's album that he says changed his life, helped him through college. She listens to it. She's unsure. 
and uh, eventually is one round and meets other people in the school who Ed regale her. Call them, don't they? Yeah, who regale her with stories of how wonderful attending one of their concerts is and how they're going to travel round with them when they go on tour. And the series ends with um, Lindsay being waved off at the bus station by her parents and Sam and his friends, believing she's going off to Washington as part of this study group and uh, deciding, in fact, to ditch that, meet up with Kim, who talked about, you know, wanting to get away for the summer, meet up with Kim and the rest of the Deadheads and uh, going on tour and following the Grateful Dead around. And that is the final sequences. Lindsay changing into a trademark green coat and getting into the back of the van and going off on an adventure. With Kim as well. Yeah. She then, of course, gets pregnant, changes, uses her brother's name to start a nursing course and ends up in Chicago and works in the ER there. That's, that's, what, the second, that's what the rest of Freaks and Geeks is to me. It's just Lindsay using her brother's name to then work at uh, ER. County. That's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. How yeah. did you feel about this this I, as a finale? Yeah. I I think it sort of suggested that like all the the freaks were sort of splintering to their own direction. So you know, as you said, like Nick doing the disco dancing, Daniel finding sort of kindred spirits in uh, in the geeks uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. The only th- and uh, Lindsay and Kim ultimately going off to you know, follow the Grateful Dead around on tour. The only thing I would possibly say is it would have been good to have Amy in this episode <laughs> um, after, you know, the stuff that happened in the previous episode to have Ken say, well, you know, this is what I've got now. You know, I'm going to spend time uh, with my, my girlfriend now we've sort of made made up in the last episode. I I thought that the, the, the geeks possibly didn't get as, you know, a best a wrap up, but I think... The, the scene where they're with the, the AV teacher who says, you know, high school is going to be hard for you, but ultimately you are going to be the ones who prosper, where as the people who are seen cool now will be serving you fries in McDonald's. Um, and they they sort of bringing Daniel into their group and him enjoying himself was almost a little victory for them. So I, 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 en- I enjoyed this. And I think, I you know, you sent me a documentary to watch about Freaks and Geeks where I think they realised that they that this was going to be the last one and it did have that tinge of emotion to it that you i think you felt that um that this is going to be the last time uh, that these people are together um even though there was ideas for for a season two that i've read um but yeah no i i enjoyed it and it, as i say it just made me feel a little bit sad because this this was it <laughs> yeah same with me yeah when it ended it was i just felt a bit a little bit low and a bit you know, it's such a shame because I feel like, or I hope that if such a little gem was to come along now, we know from that documentary that this had huge sways of, of critical support. And I feel like maybe that didn't matter as much mm. in 99 as perhaps it would in 2019. Well, I still don't think it matters that much. I honestly don't. I think uh, at the end of the day, if you're not if your ratings are still bad you know it mm. might matter a little bit more but certainly in in terms of network tv yeah but know, that... there wasn't there wasn't that place in 99 social media where 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 avid fans of the show could talk about each episode and 
tell people how wonderful it was. Yeah. It was very much, it was on, it was doomed to fail because it was put on a Saturday night. Um, and, and that is, you know, just dead space in America on the network. Saturday night is just nothing happens. Nobody watches TV on Saturday night. They speak in that documentary of how they knew it was bad because their target audience wouldn't be in to watch the show on Saturday night. And it's just such a shame that it was so poorly treated when it was such a special, different show that still resonates and still hits me in the heart and is still relevant, I think. It doesn't feel dated, perhaps because it's set in 1980. But I can't help but think, what would Series 2 of Freaks and Geeks have been like? Or do we look back on it fondly because it is this time capsule, these 18 episodes that the people at NBC didn't realise what yeah. little Jenny Well, not everyone at NBC, because there was people, as you showed me this documentary, there was a lot of people who were supportive of it, and it just happened that they got this executive who came in who wanted them to have these victories. And I think as well, interestingly, Paul Feig saying that, you know, he, he didn't see it as running forever and ever. Um, and maybe it would have got one more seat. I, I can't see it being getting to the point where it was seven or eight seasons, you know, that no, I, no. I could see it maybe being one more season because then, you know, Lindsay would have graduated and, and that would have been it for her, you know, and I, I can't see it continue just with Sam. and Do you know what I mean? I can't yeah. see it being a long run thing. I think maybe they would have got one more season. Judd Apatow obviously went on to, to make Undeclared, which was more of a traditional sitcom, um, 30 minutes, and, and used Seth Rogen in the main cast. Jason Segal was a was a recurring uh, character and some of the other actors as well popped up from time to time. Uh, but yeah, I, and I think it's, as you say, it's important that we've got these 18 episodes and that nothing else has dented this legacy that, you know, we're still talking about this 20 years later. This is still regularly on sort of streaming platforms. It's still on all four. If you, if we've, again, we've spoiled it all for you, but <laughs> yeah. we've done a really good well, ambulance all four, I think, that today. God, well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, adult material, the West Wing, and and freaks and geeks, all available there. Okay, but um, yeah, no, I, I'm, and I suppose we need to make a decision on what we're going to do next for the rewind. Yes, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll announce it on our social medias once we've discussed it. Yes, I think. somehow these eighteen episodes, watching two at a piece, will probably take us more than eighteen weeks to do, and that's completely. Well, it has because you, your fault. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I would say Luke said, I'm not in the mood to watch these. Um, yeah, so that's 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 the rewind. I hope you've enjoyed this first uh, foray into it. And I hopefully, as I say, it's inspired some of you to check it out. And if it hasn't already, check it out and tell us what you think of Freaks and Geeks if you've not seen it before. Custard TV uh, online, thecustardtv.com, Custard TV pod for us on Twitter, I'm at Luke Custard TV. Matt is at Matt's TV Bytes. Please give us a review. I don't think we've said this often enough, and we really should. Please review us on your podcasting app. Just a few kind words uh, to, to help the word of the podcast spread. Um, perhaps get the podcast R rate up a little bit is what we're after. Um, so if you could, or P rate, <laughs> should be. Um, so please. Back into lockdown soon, so there's a yeah. lot of time. Yeah, 
please do that. It just helps spread the word and helps people know that we're around. And it's a hobby, it's a passion project, but it'd be nice to know that uh, that people are listening. Uh, email custardtvreviews at gmail.com. And for our individual reviews, you can check out our YouTube channel, which, sticking with brand, is the Custard TV. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. See ya. I can't believe Trump won again. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realize that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.